and welcome to Luxacult. This is the podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss a variety of occult topics. I am your host, Lux Estrada, and if you are hearing this, then the show, and magic for that matter, is for you, if you want it. There are a lot of different ways to be more free, and using magic or making space for a spiritual practice in your life can be one of them. As always, I don't speak for anybody but myself. Others can, will, and should disagree with me sometimes. How would we ever learn anything if we all agreed all the time after all? And like anybody should be, I am willing to revise my opinions based on new evidence. All right. Today, I am very excited to share my interview with author, videocaster, occultist, artist, and host of MagicalExperiments.com, Taylor Elwood. So this guy has written over 30 books. So I can't say that I've read all of them, but from what I have read of Taylor's work, I will say that there is a lot of really well thought out stuff that is presented from the standpoint of experience. A lot of the topics that Taylor talks about in his work are somewhat complex, but his writing style makes the information really accessible. Magical Identity, his book, has some really good stuff about what some people might call like ego magic, which is a topic that I'm very interested in. Uh, You can tell that Taylor is super passionate about the topic of magic and spirituality, and I super respect all the dedication he's put into his work. It's very inspiring. So I'm going to read Taylor's Magical Experiments Manifesto to give you a sense of what his approach to magic is like. Okay. Magical experimenters are innovators and creative magicians who blend non-occult disciplines with magical practices and get consistent results that change life. Magical experimenters are insatiably curious, asking questions and discovering the answers by looking outside of the conventional and embracing the improbable to discover the hidden mysteries of the universe. Magical experimenters know how magic works and know how to bend the rules to get results. Magical experimenters are reality hackers who use what's relevant to them in their magical practice whether it's pop culture, media, space-time, or anything else that helps them get the results they want. Magical experimenters are never bound by tradition or magical orders or spellbooks or doing magic a specific way because that's the way magic has been done before. Magical experimenters create their own magical systems, develop their own magical workings, and challenge what is known by venturing into the unknown. Magical experimenters create their own magical works innovate their own magical solutions, transform the potential of imagination into the reality of manifestation. I am a magical experimenter. Okay, so that's very cool. I really like it. And I definitely feel like um, this is pretty in line with my approach too. So very fun. Hell yeah. Okay, so something that comes up in this interview is pop culture magic, using pop culture as a tool for working magic. Uh, pokemon C or using Pokemon cards or something like that as a divination tool is something that springs to mind. Um, I've worked with characters and concepts from books before. I really like the magic system outlined in Patrick Rothfuss's Kingkiller Chronicles. Like, the idea of naming magic in that world is super fucking cool. I think about that a lot, actually. I think there's definitely something there. Um, But anyway, I would argue that emoji magic could be lumped in here, too. Though I'm not sure if emojis are technically pop culture. To be honest, I have sort of like a tenuous grasp on the definition of pop culture, actually. 
But I will press on past that to tell you that emoji magic is, as you may have suspected, about using emojis to cast spells or enchantments or whatever you like to call what you do. Um, when I first heard about this concept, I was sort of like, okay, I, I don't know. Okay, so there will also be an update on the green mushroom hypho sigil, which is a large-scale group working with the intent of building connections and solidarity, encouraging magic and artistic expression, and dissolving trauma as we regain ground. Anyone who wants to join in on this effort is welcome, so stay tuned for that. I would also like to say thank you so much for listening to Lexicall and for all of the kind words of support and encouragement and everything. Like, y'all really are the best. I'm so fucking lucky. Um, it's been really amazing so far hearing from so many cool people, and I'm so stoked to see what everybody's up to and everything, so fuck yeah, gratitude. Alright, well without further ado, let's get into it here. Here is my interview with Taylor Elwood. Well, hell yeah. I am super stoked today for my guest, Taylor Elwood. How's it going, dude? Hey, it's going great. And thank you for having me on your show. Hell yeah. I'm so excited. So am I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So you're quite prolific. Um, Would you mind giving the listeners and I like a little short like bio and some uh, notes about your work and everything? Sure. Uh, well, I, like I said, I'm Taylor Elwood. I uh, am the uh, occult author uh, and host of MagicalExperiments.com, and I've been writing and publishing books since 2003. Uh, most of my books are esoteric or occult-focused, so, for example, The Process of Magic, The Magic of Art, Magical Identity, Pop Culture Magic, just to name a few, but I've actually written about over 30 books. Some of them are, uh, a few of them are business books, and I've also started branching out into fiction as well. So I have websites for those uh, for those also. So if you're interested, like, for example, in being a self-publishing author, then check out my IndieAuthorBusinessSuccess.com site. Or if you're interested in my fiction, check out ImagineYourReality.com, where I write about zombie apocalypse and uh, superheroes. Okay, awesome. Well, all right. So being a magical experimenter, which I love, um, and sort of like the whole philosophy of magical, you know, the magical experiment university, um, and your approach to magic, like, could you kind of talk to us a little bit about um, maybe your definitions and how you kind of contextualize that within your life? Sure. Um, well, I mean, first off, I, I let's define, take a moment to define magic, and and you know, we can use the. Crowleyan definition, but I don't. I don't really like it. I, I think of magic as really being this specific art and practice that's used to design your life and manifest results, but can also help you achieve demi- divine communion with the spirits that you work with, and can also be used for internal work. And so, if if, if we look at my work in general, that's kind of the thrust of it. I mean, I, I, I certainly write books, about a fair number of books on practical magic and how to get consistent results that, man, that change your life. But I also focus a lot on working with spirits and also on doing internal work, which is doing that work of, of you know, sorting out who you are and how you want to show up in the world and, and, and clearing out all the clutter and issues that come with all, with most anybody. Uh, in life in one form or another. 
And in terms of magical experimentation, my focus is really on on the future of magic. Uh, there's lots of people out there writing books on, you know, grimoire traditions and and what ancient people did with magic and things like that. But I've always been more interested in what magic could be. So I blend a lot of my magical work with non-occult disciplines such as art, writing, uh, pop culture studies, neuroscience, and other topics along those lines that are of interest to me and that I think would be of interest to other people as well. Okay, awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you about Crowley's definition. It's a little bit constrictive. And I think that, like you're saying, magic can be used for a lot more than um, just what people call results magic, I guess. I don't know. Maybe this isn't a popular thing to say on a Chaos Magic podcast. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, it. it's true, though. I mean, you know, the thing, the thing is, is that a lot of people get focused and fixated on results. And that's not just chaos magicians. That's, that's people in general. I mean, I certainly see a lot of it nowadays where you know you, you you see a lot of books put out there for example that are really that really kind of stress the the point of getting results and I'll, I'll admit fair enough that i actually have that in some of my taglines as well so i'm not pretending i don't but i think it's worthwhile critiquing and exploring the the notion that magic actually has a lot more to offer than just practical results because at a certain point if you're doing things right, you get your life to where you want it to be and you have a certain level of foundational stability, then you're kind of faced with the question, well, what do I use magic for now? And and that's kind of where this 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 opportunity to go and explore some of the spiritual aspects and the internal aspects and things like that present themselves because you know, once you've manifested what you need, it, it, it is ideal at that point to start examining where you can take things from there and how you can become a better person than you are and all that other fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I would even say, too, that, like, there might be, like, a little bit of a false dichotomy, too, between this, like, internal and external work, too. Like, I feel like there's something to be said for really getting, like, good results. And I think this is something that you mentioned in your book, um, Identity Magic, like kind of approaching things from like a more like systematic standpoint where like, yeah, if you want like long-term good results that really build like the kind of life that you're hoping to have, start from that like very basic level of where, what does everything have in common? And it's you, right? Exactly. I mean, in, in Magical Identity, I do talk about that because I think a lot of times we we, we forget that that very important understanding that really, if you, if you look at your life, the one thing that all your problems and all your successes and everything else have in common is you and, and your sense of identity, where you are, who you are, what you're doing. And so if you want to chart a path through your life and look at like what your at what success looks like for you or any of those other things, you have to be willing to examine who you are and then make changes to that. And I would argue that any magical act that you do is necessarily a change in identity as much as anything else. I mean, I mean, again, I noticed that a lot of people get focused on, you know, the results, specifically external results around them. Like, you know, I want to manifest this job. I want to manifest this person in my life. I want this. I want that, whatever else. But what they often forget is that you also have to be willing to make changes internally. And if you're not willing to make those changes to who you are, you may not be prepared or ready for the result that you want to manifest because results inevitably bring change in your life. Like, you know, using the example of, of a job, for example, 
if you want that job, you have to understand that there are going to be changes in your identity, whether that's a change from being unemployed to working for somebody else and not having as much free time, but having money, um, or whether it's conforming to certain expectations and rules or other things in the workplace or whatever else, there's going to be changes and you have to be willing to be ready for those changes and not just do magic for the sake of getting a result, but not not think it through. And a lot of times people take that approach where they're very reactive. They've got a problem in their life. They need to solve it. So, oh, I'm going to use magic. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I've used magic to solve problems in my life reactively, but I think a little bit of forethought and planning and consideration can go a lot further in getting results that stick and last and actually are transformative in a way that's meaningful to your life. Yeah, dude, I absolutely agree. I think that's really good advice. And like, it reminds me of something that Aiden Wachter mentioned too, like on a f- earlier episode of the show, which is like, if you were the kind of person that that stuff would happen to, you would already have it happening. So like, right, like if all the things that you want, if you, <laughs> if you were the per- the kind of person who would get those things, you would already have them. So it starts with you. So I definitely agree. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's and that's a good way to approach it. If you understand that and you and you're willing to take a look at who you are and how and what you want to change about yourself, that'll inform a lot of the magical work you do as a result. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you mentioned a little bit ago pop culture magic and this is very fun i've gotten a lot of questions about it so i'm hoping could you give us like a little introduction um about like the concept sure um so when we talk about pop culture magic what we're talking about is blending um the foundational practices of magic with pop culture and using pop culture instead of older forms of mythology. Um, and it can also involve the creation of practical pop culture magic techniques. Uh, so for example, you know, maybe you want to work with the, um, the Marvel cast of superheroes and, and work with them because they spiritually can call to you or connect with you in a way that, you know, more traditional spirits or deities don't then you might start doing pop culture magic. Or maybe you find the idea of creating sigil magic based around comic books to be fascinating, and so you create a a practical magical working where you have multiple panels, and in each panel is a sigil, and you basically charge and fire all of those sigils at the same time, and then and then one of them pulls through the rest, and you're creating a, a comic book-like experience through sigil magic, if you will. Uh, in, okay. in terms of that. So, I mean, those are, those are a few, those are a couple of examples. And, um, you know, I mean, if people are really interested and fascinated, I'd also recommend checking out my books on the topic because I've written about it quite a bit. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so this, uh, um, comic book sigil method that you just mentioned, it kind of reminds me of a sigil, like a shoal, um, that's kind of same principle where there's one that pulls the others along. And that's very, that's like a very fun way of, of doing that, especially for people who are into, you know, doing things visually. Well, and that, and that's actually that's that that actually was the original idea behind it when I wrote it, wrote about it in two thousand four. Um, was the idea that you create these sigils, you charge and fire them, and then when one manifests, it automatically pulls the other ones through because it's overcome the level of resistance, and it makes it easier for the other ones to manifest as a result. 
Now, this is a little bit off topic, but I can't help but think about The Invisible since we're talking about comic books and chaos magic and shit. Like, do you think that, like, reading that, do you think that Grant Morrison might have, like, been messing around with some kind of similar things in there? Well, I mean, he basically set out to create a hyper sigil, um, you know, so I, I could see how using the medium of comics that he could use that for its own purpose. And I mean, you see that with with other comic books as well. One of my favorites is is Watchmen by Alan Moore. And I, I mean, I think that there was some very intentional magical working done with that in terms of kind of skewing with people's sense of space and time and, and things along those lines. And that's the beauty of an artistic medium like comic books or really just any kind of artistic medium is that you can take that medium and use it to as a transformative experience for yourself and for the people who partake in it. Okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. So besides like comic, like making a comic book, um, you know, sigil or using this technique, if somebody wanted to, do a pop culture ritual like what might that entail so with a pop culture ritual you're what you're looking at really is is kind of like how you're going to incorporate that those elements of pop culture into into magic and use the principles of magic accordingly so let's say as an example and i'll be dating myself a little bit here but cowboy bebop as an example (laughs) All right. That's good stuff. <laughs> it is good stuff. But, you know, I mean, I've, I, I watched it a while ago. So, I mean, there's new anime out since then, and I haven't seen all of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself here a little bit, but that's fine. But the interesting thing about Cowboy Bebop is let's say you wanted to do some elemental magic. Well, the five main characters map out to the elements quite nicely. I mean, you have, you have for example, Jet. And he's got the metal arm and he's very practical and grounded and strategic and he fits the element of earth. You've got Spike who describes his fighting as a, as a water-like approach to fighting and he always is wearing a blue suit and that's water. You got Faye who, has, who is wearing a red and yellow um, outfit and is always smoking and, and it has a fiery temper. And then you've got Ed who is an airhead and very intellectual, very smart, but not very grounded. And that's the element of air. And then you've got Ayn, the data dog, who works in mysterious ways, and that's spirit. So you could create a, a pop culture magic ritual to the classic elements working with um, the characters from Cowboy Bebop, as an example, and come up with appropriate chants and and what have you. And, and you could, you know, you might have the anime set up in, a, in the manga set up on, a, on an altar and have the uh, action figures if they have them or whatever else. And, and you could work with that. I mean, that's just one example of, of using, you know, pop culture magic with like anime, for example. But then like as another example of doing, of, of doing some interesting pop culture magic work, I mean, you could also come up with, you know, some type of practical pop culture magic working based off of, of pop culture that you like. So, for example, if you're a fan of, of the Dresden Files, you know, there's some pretty nifty ideas in there in terms of some of the things that the character does with magic. Well, I wouldn't subscribe to all the rules that the author has built into that. I've definitely been inspired in terms of creating some magical artifacts and items as a result of reading those books. So, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit when it comes to pop culture magic. And I think, I think the most important thing to remember at the same time is to, to keep a grounded approach. And what I mean by that is that you don't want to get so caught up in the pop culture that you're ignoring 
the foundational aspects of how magic really works because sometimes it can be really easy to get to kind of go go into a deep dive into the pop culture and be like well that's how magic works and it's like well maybe not maybe you're subscribing a little too much to the specific pop culture rules or laws about magic which may not really be based on how magic works but are very convenient for that pop culture but is that what you really want to be subscribing to because then you're you're subscribing to the limitations of that as well yeah that's a really good point and i mean i think that that is definitely something to keep in mind you know with this type of work and with any type of work really everybody like i mean you ask yourself like are the is this idea is this way of looking at things is it useful to me is it good is it healthy right like all that stuff for sure. I mean, it's 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 good to have a sense of our own limitations and our own awareness around those limitations, but also the limitations of the systems and things that we work in so that we can step out of them and make changes accordingly. Definitely. So I heard you mention in Magical Identity um, about using pop culture magic to do internal work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you another aspect of, of working with um, pop culture is that you can certainly use it for internal work. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we end up identifying or resonating with the stories of, of the characters that we love and enjoy. So, you know, if you have a particular pop culture that you enjoy and you find yourself identifying with the character and the struggles that the, the main character goes through, then you could actually choose to work with that character and, and, and draw upon that character as a source of inspiration for doing work around the internal issues that you're dealing with. You know, maybe, maybe you're working with a character who's dealt with some type of abuse in a situation. And so you draw upon that character to help you get through some of the issues and trauma that you have around your upbringing or, or things that are going on in your life currently and that helps you to make some changes accordingly. Definitely. That makes sense. And I was just thinking too, um, this idea of like magic and like art being so close together. And like, if you kind of consider that like these pop culture, you know, IPs or whatever you want to refer to, refer to them as they were created by somebody, they were already sort of created through this like act of magic. So there is something already like a little bit of magic there about them. And we've talked a little bit on this show about like feedback and stuff and how like you can think about that in a lot of different ways, like, you know, dynamic systems, but also like artistic stuff, like, you know, ins artists inspiring each other or anything. And I think that there's something to what you're saying for sure. Totally makes sense. Well, I, I mean, when you think about it as an artist or as a writer or a musician, you're you're getting in touch with the creative forces of the universe and you're mediating those forces and then transmitting that into the art that you create. And there's no reason to think that there isn't some divine inspiration there. I mean, how many artists in one form or another throughout history have said that they've been divinely inspired in some form or another. You know, what we're accessing is a different layer of reality when we create. Certainly, certainly when I've done my own paintings or, or my writing, um, I felt that connection with something that goes above and beyond just my own experience. And, and by allowing myself to be open to that and, and really focusing on being present in a way where I can transmit that information, then I can share it with other people and help them on their journey in whatever way, shape or form it does help them. Very cool. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was hoping to ask you just a little bit about your process of like how, you know, that goes like when you're creating this like magical artwork or um, writings or, you know, whatever medium you're using. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, how that kind of works for you. So when I'm uh, when I'm doing when I'm doing paintings, um, I I, use, I typically create paintings for one of two purposes. One purpose is as a as a as an offering to a spirit, and and really to create what I call um, an evocation portal, which allows me to to basically bypass all the typical and rigorous evocation activities that other people do because the the painting itself is the evocation of the spirit. And the other, uh, the other reason I create a, a painting is for the purpose of creating like a practical magic working. Uh, so it might be like a sigil, but it could also be something else. Like I have a painting that I call my timeline scanner painting, which is really a, a long-term working design to help me with scanning timelines. Uh, it, in order to make uh, effective choices, you know, uh, some a bit of space-time magic there. But um, when I do the paintings, in the case of the spirit, what I do is I invoke the spirit, and I basically ask the spirit to guide my hands. So it's, it's a form of automatic painting, and if you're familiar with Austin Osmond's spare, which I'm going to assume you are, and that yes, some of your definitely. people are, then, the, you know, it's basically <laughs> borrowing heavily from that approach. And so what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just paint and, and let the spirit guide me in terms of creating the painting. In the case of the practical magical working, it's kind of a similar process, except that I'm not really working with the spirit. Instead, what I'm doing is I've, I've, I've set up the, the magical working itself, and I treat the painting as, as, as essentially a transmission of the programming of that working. And so I'm just allowing myself to connect with that programming and then express it in the form of the painting. So that way it then broadcasts that into the world at large. Okay. Yeah. That all makes total sense. That's kind of similar to what I get up to actually. So yes, that all tracks very well. <laughs> yeah. For me, I mean, deity, spirit, uh, whatever concept, energy, I think about things in pretty abstract ways, but yes, what you're saying definitely tracks. Excellent. All right. Well, how would you feel about taking a bibliomancy break? All right, let's do it. Okay, heck yeah. <laughs> All right, let me pull up the bibliomancy roll tables here. Okay, so the way this works is I have the guest ask a question, and then if you have a coin, I'll ask you to flip it. And if you have a 12-sided die, I'll ask you to roll that, and we will see what book to consult, and then we will receive the insight of Eris. All right. Well, my question is, what book should I write next? And I will go ahead and flip the coin. Alrighty. And it's heads. Okay. And I don't have a 12-sided die, so. That is okay. I have one right here. It looks like it's number 12, and it's going to be from Labyrinth by Borges. Let me grab it. All right. All right. <laughs> this shot will be interesting. <laughs> Well, it's always interesting, actually. <laughs> oh, Eris, what book should Taylor write next? Ten days later, I learned through Yeret Satsung that you were seeking Yarmolinsky's writings, the key to his death. I read the history of the Hasidic sect. I learned that the revenant fear of uttering the name of God had given rise to the doctrine that the name is all-powerful, recondite. I discovered that some has, Hasidism in search of the sect of, 
I'm doing a very bad job of this. My apologies. Okay. <laughs> in search of the secret name, had gone so far as to perform human sacrifices. I knew that you would make the conjecture that the Hasidim had sacrificed the rabbi. I set myself the task of justifying that conjecture. Okay, Eris, cool. <laughs> Does that answer your question? I can work with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a weird one. I'm going to have to go back and read this for some context because I am not sure what's happening in this one right now. <laughs> but I'll be curious to see what you publish next. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you, Eris. <laughs> Thank you, Eris. <laughs> I would be curious to hear about what you're working on right now. And also, I would love if you would share a little bit of whatever secret to the productivity that you seem to have. I mean, like, as I said, you're very prolific. So, yes, as I said, tell us your secrets, please. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'm currently uh, writing Tales of the Zombie Apocalypse Call Center, which is an anthology uh, based around the customer experience with my call center heroes and how they navigate the zombie apocalypse accordingly and the misadventures they have as a result. So that's kind of the, uh, that's the current book that I'm working on. Um, in terms of the secret of my productivity, uh, that's a great question. You know, a, a couple years ago, I had this, this very important realization that what I really wanted to do with the rest of my life was write and create and uh, focus on my focus, not just on the magic stuff, but also on my on, on fiction and, and whatever else called to me. And so I started, um, I started focusing on that. And at the time, I was actually working at a call center. So I was doing, you know, a lot of this writing, basically, either in between phone calls, or um, during breaks, or, um, um, you know, in the evenings. And so part of the secret of my productivity was that I really learned to focus on using making the most of my time. Because when you are on someone else's time, and you know, you have a moment to, to steal some of that time away, you definitely should, because it's it's worth it. Um, and it's especially if you know what you're doing and what you want to do. And so that's what I, I did. I mean, said on the show, lie to your boss and steal stuff. It wasn't me that said that. <laughs> Somebody did say it. Hey, I, I didn't. I didn't say it that way. I it just wasn't said, me. yeah, it wasn't me either. I just said, you know, make take the make you know take some of that time back if you can. Um, but that's what I did. And then, and um, and then in uh, July of this uh, last year, I actually uh, went full time self employed with my writing because I had I had gotten to the point where I was able to replace my income. And a large part of that was that I just. You know, I, I, I did take a bit of a, a, a strategic look at like what writing was selling and I focused on on that writing. Um, so I ended up writing like three nonfiction books in a row. And the combination of that just kind of helped to bring enough sales to kind of put me over the uh, the uh, necessary threshold. So I no longer needed to work at the day job. And so since then, I've been I've been writing more um, fiction uh, than anything else, just kind of doing some fun writing to relax and, and enjoy it. But I'm about to get back into nonfiction, which is why I asked the question I did. And, uh, you know, the secret again is really that you just kind of have to, you have to, you have to be disciplined about it. Like I write every day. Um, most days I didn't write today, but that's cause I was busy. I'm in the process of launching a, a new online, um, 
school for self-publishing authors right now. So I was kind of getting a lot of that stuff taken care of. But normally each day I'm writing and I'm writing anywhere between, you know, uh, a few hundred words to 2000 words. I mean, my goal is most days to try and at least hit 2000 words a day. Sometimes I get more than that, but, you know, I pace myself accordingly. And, and I think that that's really important. And so whatever you're doing, you know, artistically or creatively, the key to that productivity is that you have to make sure you do it every day or as, or as many days as possible. The other thing, though, that I would stress, and this really does, this really is important to note, is that you also have to treat your, what you're doing artistically, if, at least if you want to make a living at it, you have to treat it as a business. And that means that you you necessarily do need to learn the business side of things. Like for me, learning the business side of things with self-publishing isn't just, you know, that I sit down and write each day. It's that I learn online ads, that I learn how to market my books, that I learn how to uh, do other things that are going to help me connect with my audience. And I know a lot of people get weird about that, but I think that if you're creative and you really don't want to work for somebody else, you just, you have to get through that weirdness and really focus in on like, well, what do I need to do? to be successful and productive. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I totally agree. So, so, so if you look at my productivity, certainly I am putting, I am turning books out there pretty regularly. I mean, I, I think, you know, last year I ended up publishing 10 books and writing to, and writing nine. Um, you know, I'd, I'd written the, one of the books at the very end of 2019. And so I published it at the beginning of 2020 and, and that's pretty good. And I mean, I, I hope that I write at least as many books is that this coming year we'll see yeah I mean I think that's pretty good (laughs) but you know I mean a lot of people wouldn't even think to do that but like if you're a self-publisher you have to necessarily be willing to put out quality work but you have to be good at getting it out there like if you're only going to write one book a year then I would say go with traditional publishing because that's going to be better for you but if you're someone who's like I really want to make a living at my writing then I would tell you, you know, explore self-publishing, but just be ready to learn the business side of things as much as the other things. And to add a magical element into that, I mean, I definitely, one of the other things I did is I did a fair amount of wealth magic to get things to take off the way they did. I mean, I had a a couple wealth magic workings that I created. I was working with the uh, fourth pentacle of Jupiter, which I got from my friend Allison Chikoski. And I, I, I um, used that in tandem with a couple of magical artifacts that I created that involved using magnets and metal balls to work with the elements of gravity. Oh my God, dude, I love magnets. I use that shit all the time. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I was using it with um, the elements of gravity and magnetism in order to help attract more sales. And I definitely think that that contributed because I started doing a lot of that work at the in the fall of 2019 and in the course of of that next year, I mean, that basically helped drive a lot of the sales. So I, it wasn't just even learning the business skills. It was certainly also working the magic because I knew what I wanted, which is that I wanted to be self-employed instead of working for other people. Hell yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, conte- people can contextualize like learning those business skills as like a act of magic too. I mean, like really acquiring skills is like, you know, any other aspect of your practice like it's not about as phil hines says retreating from the world it's about being more effective in the world and as magicians we should be willing to pick up whatever skill set we need to get where we're going you know there there's a there's a a good way to put this too it's like if if you if you want to be able to manifest changes in the world if you want to bring effective change to the world and to the community and the people that you 
that you want to serve, you have to necessarily be willing to learn the skills that are going to help you do that. And, and, and that can take different forms. I mean, it doesn't have to involve owning a business. You know, self-employment isn't for everyone. Mm-hmm. But certainly if you are self-employed, that means that you have to learn the business and marketing skills and things like that. But if you're willing to put the time into those skills and learn them, it can make a huge difference in your success because you're going to know the things that you need to know. And, and at the same time, I mean, the other, the other thing I would say, and this is, this is a practice that I've really drawn upon heavily in my approach is, is to focus on what's essential, figure out like what is, what is essential to your joy and purpose and sacrifice everything else. So like for me, it's, it's writing books and it's creating courses it's not doing anything else. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not coaching people anymore. I used to coach people, but I decided I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it that much. It's a lot of work and effort to do that. And it didn't bring me the same level of joy and purpose that my writing does. I even decided to step back from the idea of creating a, a, a virtual summit for similar reasons. Cause it was like, I don't want to do that, that amount of work. I'd rather be writing books, creating courses and helping people that way and doing it in a manner where, the quantity and quality speaks to what people need. And at the same time, I'm able to continue happily creating and doing what I enjoy doing. And, you know, so sacrifice the trivial many for the essential few. Yeah, absolutely. And getting back to what you were saying just a second ago, like about like learning these new skills, like some people do shy away and they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's not me. Like I'm bad at that. I'm bad at computers or whatever, like whatever story you're telling yourself, like you might need to revise that, right? Like, you either, you either need to change your identity in some form or manner and, and be willing to learn those skills or you find somebody who can do it for you and you hire them. Or, you know, I mean, I, and I'm a big fan of hiring other people to do stuff that I don't want to do because sure. I mean, <laughs> there is such a thing as, as you don't necessarily need to learn all the skills in order to be successful. You just need to figure out what skills you need to learn to do what you need to do totally. and then let other people do what they're great at, you know, figure out someone... You know, like if, if, if my computer breaks, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to try and figure that out myself. I'm going to go to someone where their zone of genius is fixing computers and I'll let mm-hmm. them do it. And, yeah, it'll cost me some money, but it saves me it saves me time to focus on the things that really matter to me. And I think that's more important than a lot of people realize, because, you know, money, money, you can earn back. You can't earn time back once it's gone. It's gone. And, you know, you just you move on. You move forward to the next moment. So to like focus on those skills that are really going to serve you in like more of a long term like fashion. Yeah, you know, think of it in terms of life design. I mean, a lot of a lot, a lot of my approach to magic actually is really based on this idea of, of life design about being proactive with your magic, like figure out what you really want. And when you're trying to figure out what you really want, it's not even just a matter of figuring out what you want, like a day from now or a month from now. But like, what do you want a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know? really think it out and, and, and write it down and then start working toward that. And you might say, well, I, I don't know what I want 50 years from now. Well, that's fair enough. You don't have to be specific, but get an idea at least. Like if you know that you want to be able to retire to the countryside 50 years from now, then, you know, own it and work mm-hmm. toward that. Because what you're going to find is that just simply by knowing what you want, you're going to already start to manifest it into your life. And because you're taking a proactive approach, you're not waiting for things to happen to you, but you're actually actively working what you want to manifest into your life, then you're going to actually get that a lot easier. 
you, you know, again, if, if you look at a lot of how people approach magic, this seems like a bit of a generalization, but I mean, I've, I mean, I've been practicing magic 28 years and I've certainly observed with an appreciation of what other people do, but also kind of a, a critical awareness. A lot of times people approach magic from a reactive place. Like I got a problem in my life. I need to solve it. I'll go to magic. And Hey, that's great. You know, use magic to solve that problem. But don't just focus on solving problems with magic. Start thinking proactively, like, what do I really want? How do I want to get there? And I mean, in my case, I knew I wanted to be self-employed again. And I knew that I wanted to basically spend the rest of my life doing what I'm doing now. That might change at some point, but for the foreseeable future, at least, I know that this is what I want to do. And if it does change, you know, I'll figure that out at that time. But knowing that this is what I wanted, it's driven everything that I've done over the last few years, and it's helped me get to where I want to go a lot quicker than I would have otherwise. Yes, absolutely, dude. Hell yeah. Okay, so switching gears just a little bit, um, I know you mentioned like this idea, and I think this is in Magical Identity and other places too, but like this idea of like the body being like the gateway to the spirit. And I think this might actually come into a little bit of what we were talking about too of like in terms of like really acting on that like gut instinctive level like I, I think in a lot of ways like your body knows what is fun and exciting and like in terms of like what's going to work for you magically and I think going towards that can really be powerful but uh, yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts about this in general so I, I think that um, the body is the most potent magical tool that we have and it's, it's something that a lot of people don't really spend time appreciating. Unfortunately, you know, we, we, live, we live in a culture, at least in the U.S., with, with a legacy of, of 2,000 years of conditioning around the idea that the body is sinful and dirty. And even if you don't subscribe to that notion yourself, you're still dealing with that legacy in some form or another. And so it's important to acknowledge that. My own approach to, to working with the body is, is, is really to um, appreciate the sensorial, sensorial awareness that the body brings to experiences and to focus on what I call um, experiential embodiment. So when I'm doing magical work, I'm not just focusing, for example, on what I can see, which is typically what happens a lot with, with magical work and with other things in general. I mean, we, we rely on sight more so than other senses, unless of course you're somebody who um, does not have, is not able to see for whatever reason, then you do typically rely upon other sen senses. But I think that, you know, for people who are sighted that it's, it's worth noting and recognizing that the other senses are there. And so when I talk about experiential embodiment, I'm really talking about diving into those senses, diving into that sense of smell and taste and uh, kinesthetic awareness and tactile awareness and sound and allowing that to be a guide in its own right because those senses were developed as a way to help us survive and we shouldn't necessarily cast them aside. When you learn to be in touch with your body, it, it, it teaches you a lot about how you show up in the world and how you navigate, but it also helps you to change your how you how you live your life. I mean, as an example, you know, you start to think about like, what am I eating and what am I putting into my body, and is this what I really want to be putting into my body? If I consider the fact that I'm working with my body, if my body's always feeling, you know, bloated and weighed down, maybe I want to be changing what I'm eating or how I'm approaching things because maybe there's something there that isn't right for me. 
And I think when we, we really tap into and connect with our senses, we, we start to discover these things. And then when we make these, these changes, it opens us up to the more spiritual aspects because we're, we're starting to allow our body to teach us and educate us about how to integrate the spirit into the world. And so instead of separating spirit out from the body, you know, um, getting into the De Descartesian uh, uh, duality and, and illusion, <laughs> instead we're reintegrating into the spirit into the body and we're discovering what the spirit, what the body can teach the spirit and what the spirit can teach the body. So like if I, for example, if I work with a spirit, you know, instead of expecting a spirit to appear before me in a, in a, a a specific humanocentric shape or expecting it to communicate with me in the English language because that's convenient for me, <laughs> why not pay attention to how the spirit is engaging you experientially? You know, how is your sense of kinesthetic awareness or tactile awareness impacted by the spirit? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What are you hearing? And yes, what are you seeing? Because we shouldn't throw sight out altogether either. It, it has value. But by paying attention to all of the senses and, and learning to be in our body instead of trying to distance ourselves from our body, we can experience the world and spirits and everything else in a different way that we're otherwise missing out on. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that like lucidity might be a good word here. Like being like more fully awake or more present in what's happening through the body. For sure. I mean, there, there is something to be said for having that lucid awareness and, and being, being present in that way. And I, I, again, I think a lot of times, you know, we, we, we tend to go to one of two extremes. We either try, try to inhibit our bodies in some form or manner, drug it or, or alcohol it or whatever else. And again, I'm not saying I don't occasionally indulge in, you know, uh, alcohol or what have you, but <laughs> never to the point where it's, it's, you know, where I'm trying to dull the pain or whatever else, mm -hmm. or we go to the opposite, the opposite end. And we, we get, so we get, we, so fo we focus on the excitatory actions, but what we don't do is maybe pay attention to what the everyday experience of the body is and how that can teach us. And, and I think the everyday experience of the body is, is actually, uh, in its own right, very rich with sensation and experience. Uh, certainly, you know, when I'm doing, when I'm doing work with spirits or I'm doing Qigong or I'm doing other things, I'm paying attention to what my body is telling me about something. And it, it often, uh, can help me to not only be more present in the moment, but really be more present throughout the rest of the day. Um, you know, when I'm sitting at my desk and I'm writing or whatever else, knowing that maybe I need to get up for a few minutes and, and stretch and, you know, get my eyes away from the screen or something like that. And that may not seem very spiritual, but it actually is in the sense that it teaches us not to get sucked into our own heads, but, but rather to engage the world and be here. Yeah, definitely, dude. Hell yeah. Okay, so... One thing I did want to ask you about, and I think that this is probably something that a lot of people that listen to this show are already doing, maybe without realizing they're doing it. Um, and this is building out your own magical system. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I think that, you know, people do tend to build out their own magical systems at a certain point. Um, certainly, 
I'm a fan of that. I think you do need a certain foundational level of experience and, and, um, magical expertise, if you will, um, to do it successfully only in the sense that, you know, I, like when I first started practicing magic way back when I, I didn't, you know, I didn't automatically start experimenting with magic. I didn't start creating systems of magic right away. It took me a few years, you know, I had to learn certain experiences and, and have something and, and, and make some mistakes and do some things and, and, and figure out like the way that other people did it before I went there. But once I had, once I had gotten some foundational experiences, I started asking a lot of questions like, well, why do I have to say this? Or why do I have to use these tools? Or what could I do differently that would make this either help me get the same effect or get a better result? And of course, I, I also like to, to approach it from a, a troubleshooting perspective. If I did something and it didn't work, why didn't it work? If I picked up a spell book, for example, one of those spell books where it's kind of like a recipe book and they're like, you know, light this candle and say this thing and do that. Well, and I did it and it didn't work. Well, why didn't it work? You know, what, what was it that I did wrong or what was it, what was it that I wasn't connecting to? So I think, you know, when we create our own systems of magic, we need to ask those kinds of questions because it helps us to look at the world and ourselves from an analytical place, but it also helps us to start taking apart what isn't working and then putting it back together in a way that makes it work. Um, certainly with, with the systems that I've developed over the years, it's, it's often been a case like, like in the case of pop culture magic, the question that I asked myself that informed the creation of, of, of my systems around it was, you know, how can I take a how can I take a fictional character that I meaningfully connect with and work with that character as a spirit and be able to get the same level of interaction that I might get if I worked with an archangel or a demon or what have you? And I found that it could work because I was willing to look at like what what comprised that relationship, the connection, and and the fact that I might acknowledge that fictional character as a real being, even though it was quote-unquote fictional, because it's being mediated by the author. And, and the same thing like in the case of space-time magic or some of the other stuff, it's, it's, it's asking questions. I mean, one question that I'm exploring right now, for example, in my ongoing work with space-time magic, is how design space creates the experiences that we have in that space and how can we transform that design space and play with it and, and create different experiences. So like, if you look at it from like an architectural perspective, you know, um, you know, why, why does a room give you the experience that it gives you and what could you change about it? In the case of my ritual room, one of the things that I changed is I started putting art on the ceiling. Most people don't put art on the ceiling, but why not? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. You know, it's a, it's, and it changed the experience of that room because suddenly the art wasn't just on the walls, but it was on the ceiling itself. And so it became three dimensional in a way that it wasn't before. Very cool. Yeah. I love it. And yeah, what you're saying about like, like if you are going to be building your own kind of system, like it's something that you're going to be starting from the ground up based on like your own practice, your own praxis, like your own understanding of how things work for you and how you interact with things. And we don't necessarily need to like reinvent the wheel, right? Like there's a lot of shit out there that works very well in terms of like incorporating those, you know, ideas or concepts into your own practice. Um, yeah, there's a lot of options there, but we, as I said, we don't need to reinvent the wheel per se. We, we don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel, though re reinventing the wheel can be fun sometimes. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many people told me when I was first started sharing <laughs> pop culture magic, well, you're reinventing the wheel. And I said to him, well, at least it's my wheel. Sure. 
you know? So, I mean, there's, there's the flip side of that, that sometimes it can be good to, to reinvent stuff. I think, I think, you know, what's important is that you, you take a balanced approach to it, which is, which is to say, you know, you, 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 you do the necessary work to get the experiences and to set the foundation in place so that you can do what you want to do with magic. But then you, you make it your own and you make it your own by asking questions, by getting curious and by exploring not just what other people are saying about magic and not even just what your own experiences are, but also exploring other disciplines and ideas. I mean, if, if, if someone was to ask me like how it is that I'm able to experiment with magic, the answer is that I'm able to experiment with magic because I don't just stick with magic. I don't just read books on magic. I'm reading stuff on architectural design. I'm reading books on on philosophy, on on business um, practices, on various other things. And then I'm taking all of that and I'm actually implementing it and executing it in my life. And I'm 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 finding a way to boil it all together to become something bigger than what the separate disciplines would be. And so if if you know you if you're curious about life and about the world, you're going to at a certain point start to say, okay, you know, I've read all these books on magic and I've gotten some great ideas from them, but now I want to start exploring some other ideas and, and some other perspectives and I want to bring those in. And, and that'll help you create your systems as well because a, a system of magic is never just about the magical and occult lore. It's about whatever else you bring into it as well. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's going to be different for, yeah, for everybody. For sure. I mean, each person is going to have their own perspective and ideas and, and thoughts, and they're going to bring that into what they're doing. And that's a good thing. I mean, person X's system of pop culture magic is going to differ from mine. Person Y's space-time magic system is going to differ from mine. And that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's how it should be. You know, at a certain point, magic becomes very personalized and that's what makes it different from a science because you know with science you're always trying to replicate you know what you do and not that there shouldn't be some replication in magic but at a certain point if you want to make it your own you have to be willing to personalize it and and how do you do that you do that through your experiences you do that through what makes you curious and excited about life then you you find a way to bring it all together yeah absolutely don't be afraid to get weird with it and do strange things right that's right <laughs> All right, dude. Well, thank you so much for being willing to talk to me. Is there anything that I did not ask about that you'd like to mention or any questions that you have for me? Um, no, I'm I'm good to go. I mean, I, I would just say, you know, if, if, if people want to find me on the web, check out my website, magicalexperiments.com. And if you want to check out my other stuff, um, feel free to visit those sites, imagineyourreality.com or indieauthorbusinesssuccess.com. And other than that, uh, thank you for having me on the show. I was honored to be here, and I look forward to uh, sharing it with my community. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I appreciate it. Well, you just answered the, my next question, which is where people can find your work. I will have links to all that stuff in the notes for the show description and everything, so check those out. All right, dude. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This is very fun, and maybe you'll be willing to come back at a later date and talk about space-time magic? I would love to come back at a later date. Okay, hell yeah. This is a topic that I've been playing around with a little bit, and it's very exciting. So hell yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll do it then. Okay, rad. All right, hell yeah. Thanks again so much to Taylor. Definitely check out his stuff. There's a lot there, lots of resources, including some free workbooks that you can download at magicalexperiments.com. 
And if there's a subject related to magic that you are curious about, check out Taylor's work. Chances are he may have written a book about it. Um, you can watch Taylor's video cast on his YouTube channel. Uh, there will be a link to that in the show notes, so check that out. I'm going to be talking with Taylor about some of my work on his video cast, which I'm super stoked about. Um, super cool of him to invite me, so I'll keep you all posted about that. Uh, all right, so as I promised, let's talk about emoji magic. As I mentioned earlier, when I first heard about this, I will admit to having somewhat of like an emotional reaction, I think. Maybe like incredulity might be a diplomatic way of describing it, but like, yeah, I was kind of like, what the fuck? Or like, that seems dumb. But I took like a split second to think about it and realized very quickly that there was absolutely no reason why it wouldn't work if correctly applied. And then I sort of realized that I might already sort of been using it a little bit without even like thinking about it in those terms. So yes, uh, the basic idea is using an emoji or string of emojis as a symbolic representation of your will or concept or whatever you can make a sigil or symbol out of. Then using what you already know about how magic works for you, you can apply this as you see fit. I assume that most people would agree that this is something that would typically fall into the realm of technomancy or using digital technology for magic. Although I suppose you could have like printed images of emojis be like a thing too. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that you could do this, obviously. Um, your understanding of and relationship with the little pictures should definitely like be considered, you know, like what do they mean to you and everything. Like, do you think the peach is always a butt or is it just sometimes a butt? <laughs> like stuff like that, right? <laughs> um, also take into consideration like how others might see them. People typically activate the enchantment by like somehow sending it out into the world, like posting it somewhere or sending it to somebody. Uh, you would want to consider what would make the most sense depending on your intent and the design of the thing that you're doing. Uh, you may wish to ritualize this process. Like I, I put a link in the show notes to a site where they talk about like a super basic way of doing this. So if you're like super new to this concept or magic in general, or whatever, like that could be a, a place to check that out. <laughs> so I think I'm going to play around with this stuff a little bit. So be on the lookout for some of my silly bullshit. <laughs> No, I'm totally joking. <laughs> Just because something doesn't appeal to you from an aesthetic standpoint, that doesn't mean that it isn't valid or useful for somebody else. Actually, I found that emotional responses to something, like even if it's one that's initially sort of negative, can be an indicator of something which has the potential to be magically powerful. And I may have mentioned this before. I, mean, I think it's definitely worth investigating your emotional responses to things, like checking to see if how you feel about a thing lines up with your actual experience of it, or if something else might be coloring your perception. Uh, as Taylor mentioned earlier in the interview, using like the whole body as a tool of perception can help cue you into a lot of important stuff, and emotions are like totally a part of that. All right, so a few words here about the green mushroom hypho sigil, the green mushroom project. All right, so this is a large scale group working in which we have created a web of green aspected healing and friendship magic that can be drawn on to repair damage, forge bonds of friendship, and regain ground. The mushroom is also a saprotroph, and its connection with death can help to release pain and dissolve trauma. Uh, to hook up with the web, uh, just simply incorporate the sigil into your work. Alright, so after you've hooked up with the web, you can use the magic by, among other things, imagining the spores of the mushroom, which are like little green specks of magic, you know, collecting where they are needed and, you know, 
doing their thing, healing and repairing and shit. So this whole thing is designed to be pretty accessible. And as long as you're like working within the intent of the project, like super safe, uh, please only use the magic for acts of healing and repair, you know, like chill stuff. Uh, please don't be an asshole. Uh, there are built-in countermeasures. Uh, many of us are working with the sigil on Fridays or fungal Fridays. Um, I've been writing the sigil on a green candle and lighting it Friday at midnight. We've also been working on constructing a shared astral space or imagination zone space, which I say because I don't feel like arguing with people about the definitions of this shit. Um, anyway, uh, Dave from Anything Paranormalcy podcast has been helping a lot with that, which I super appreciate. Um, I heard him mention on his show, which you should definitely check out, very cool, um, that he thought the introduction meditation for this thing like might be done by now, but I think it needs a little bit more time. So it's going to evolve organically, but I will definitely keep y'all posted when it is ready. All right. Don't forget to check out the Occult Confessions podcast too. They are doing a series on chaos magic, which has been really good so far. And hopefully this trend will continue <laughs> with the episode featuring uh, me and uh, Naya Ain from the Church of Nothing. I have not heard it yet, but I did really enjoy the conversation. So thank you so much to Rob and the Alchemical Actors for inviting us. Also check out the Dark Pool podcast, which is a cool spinoff project of Occult Confessions. And you can also hear me and Rob discuss ritual and theater on this show too. So check that out as well. And also check out the Ad Hoc History podcast. Me and my brother, Asher, who you might remember from the Explaining Chaos Magic to My Brother series, talk about history and the human motivations that might lie behind these epic stories. It's not the history podcast you wanted. It's the history podcast you deserve. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Lexicult. You all really are the best. Like I said, I'm super fucking lucky. Please keep sending me your thoughts suggestions, questions, comments, and arcane revelations to luxacultpod at gmail.com. Or you can message me on Instagram at luxacultpod. And you can also check out my stuff at The Mimetic Disease. Um, and if you like this show, you can thank me by leaving a good review and some stars and, I don't know, telling a friend, posting about it or whatever. You know what to do. You can also thank me by doing some magic to improve your life or maybe the lives of those around you. I don't know. And if you feel like it, you can share your experiences with me. All right. So I'm going to leave you all with some nonsense I put together. This is an audio sigil with some of my bullshit layered on top of it. There's some stuff about the path working I've been doing with the onk system, which has been super fucking interesting. And there's also some stuff about like the number three, still thinking about that a lot, uh, identity and this like idea of rebirth and renewal, which I think is like a really cool thing to think about this time of year when, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, spring will be here before we know it. So yeah, it's a good time to think about planting seeds or maybe like nurturing those that are already growing so that they can bear fruit. Okay, much love, don't forget to journal, please take care of yourselves, and stay curious. Thank you.
In shining fire we stand opposing dawn, the falling stars of a thousand dreamless years. The nights awake and alive with breath, your eyes alight with impossible colors. I have pulled out my rib and given it to myself to create a new that which breaks but is not broken. Lao Tzu wrote that the Tao gives birth to the one, the one gives birth to the two, the two gives birth to the three, the three gives birth to the ten thousand things, Tango, Whiskey, Lima, Delta, Victor, Mike, November, Delta, Romeo, Hotel, Whiskey, Romeo, November, Golf, Tango, Romeo, Tango, Behold, a perennial prestige, continual revelation, the destruction of birth, cutting through the skin of what is, with the scalpel of what will be, the work of the sword of process and its attendant cup. I have made an object of power discovered in another world, and been the petty demiurge to land's burst of the mind. I have died lived and caught a glimpse of the elusive reflection of time but none of it is as great as the mysteries contained in a single drop of ink foley wrote with the wand createth he with the cup preserveth he with the dagger destroyeth he with the coin redeemeth he Is what we build created or discovered? Or are there vast and storied boundaries between these lands? Dreams constructed lucidly from bricks of story and song in a place where all is reduced to a symbol of itself. Shapes with too many dimensions to carry back from the wilderness of these border lands. Though we may have caught sight of the beast we stalk, let us not be consumed by this hunt carving whales from soap to be dissolved in the currents of the years. Let us walk with upward gaze upon these paths, embracing fear as a brother, and wield our weapons wisely, carving out space to iterate. Whiskey, Romeo, November, Golf, Tango, Romeo, Tango, Romeo, Sierra, Victor, Bravo. Whiskey, November, Lima, Whiskey, Sierra, Foxtrot, Romeo.